0: Welcome to the Readings Podcast, a celebration of books. I'm Nico Callaghan. In today's episode, Emily Lockhart on her new novel, Family of Liars. We Were Liars, one of the most popular young adult books of recent years, is a thrilling read, and this prequel is just as enthralling. Set on the same private island owned by the wealthy Sinclair family, this story takes one of the adult characters in We Were Liars and looks back to her teenage summers on the island and the simmering passions and tragedy that occurred during her 17th year. Lockhart will be in conversation with author Lynette Noni. And now, here's the host of the discussion, Reading's Programming Manager, Christine Gordon.
1: How exciting it would be if Emily Lockhart was in Melbourne A few things would happen if she was in Melbourne. First of all, she would come to her very favourite independent bookshop readings and I would be so delighted. I'm Christine Gordon. I'm the programming manager for readings and I would greet her at those beautiful glass doors. And then she would come through to the back of the room and there seated at the back of the room would be all of you on pretty uncomfortable black plastic chairs. But you wouldn't care that you're uncomfortable because you would understand that you're with your people. You're all here for the same sort of reason. You're all here because you love stories. Mm -hmm. And while we're having that little moment on our black, comfortable, uncomfortable chairs, I want us all to take a moment out of our day just to reflect Mm -hmm. that from wherever we are in Australia, we're on land that's not ours. Mm -hmm. We're on land that's not been seeded. And it seems to me, given, that we're a room full, a bookshop full of people that are readers, people that are thinkers, people with creative minds. I think it's not enough for me in 2022, on behalf of all of you, to send my respects to the elders, past, present, and emerging. I reckon in 2022, we should all be making a bit more of a commitment to read more of the First Nations stories, to understand their poetry and their song lines. And it seems to me that if we took that learning into our barbecues and our dinner parties and our book groups, that perhaps this country, this beautiful country, Australia, would become richer and more prosperous for it. I'd like to introduce you to someone who has been thinking about stories for a very long time. Yes, she is a YA author. Yes, she is interested in how people think and how people behave, and we know that because she's actually studied behavioural science, she's studied journalism, She studied academic writing, and she did all of this before turning her attention to YA fantasy work and remember we're all in that bookshop on those plastic chairs and right now Lynette Nonny, everybody's cheering you and they're delighted to be welcoming you to readings. Over to you my friend.
2: Well hi everyone, Um, it's great to be here and I'm so excited to be launching this book tonight. So I would like to immediately take the attention off me while you're all sitting on those very uncomfortable chairs. Um, and I would like to turn to, we are here tonight to celebrate um, E. Lockhart, who wrote the We Were lies the um, internationally best-selling phenomenon, and she is now today launching Family of lies her newest book. I know we're going to be talking and just run out of time, so I'm going to jump straight into it uh, with you, Emily. But firstly, welcome and thank you for coming at such a stupid time. It's 4.30 a.m. for you where you are, so we'll try
3: and keep you awake, but thank you so much for coming. Lynette, thank you for having me um, and for hosting this. Um, I'm really excited to talk to you. I um it's 4.30 in the morning here in Brooklyn, New York, and I um, I was up late because I was reading The Prison Healer, and I did not want to be up late, so no thank you to that, because um, I had to get up so early. But uh, I feel like there's so much that we can talk about, about world building and kind of small uh, environments that we can throw our... Uh, characters into that, you know, kind of put intense pressure on them, and that they can't really leave. Um, And uh, I feel like thematically, there's a lot of overlap um, in the kinds of things that we think about. I'm excited. Uh, If people don't know my work, and your work, I feel like maybe we should say a tiny bit about you have a beautiful display behind you of Prison Healer and Gilded Cage and everything. And I have I have no display behind me. Uh, but I've written a whole lot of, of YA novels, most of them um, comedies up until a couple years ago when I published We Were Liars. Um, Genuine Fraud is a thriller as well as We Were Liars and Family of Liars, the new one. Um, so I've sort of switched genres. But uh, I'm really psyched to be here. This new book has been a very long time coming.
2: Well, I would really love to hear about that. So since we are launching Family of Liars, what is the most non-spoiler description of it that you can give us, especially for people who have read Liars, but also for those who maybe haven't read it? So tell us about your newest book. (laughs)
3: Family of Liars is um, set on Beechwood Island, which is a privately owned island off the coast of Massachusetts in the US. And it has um, three houses on it, and it's owned by the Sinclair family. And it's the story of the three teenage uh, Sinclair girls and what happens to them when their lives are upended by the arrival of a literal boatload of cute boys. This Is
2: true? And I I read these both books back to back um and I struggled with figuring out if I enjoyed more spending time with the liars in we were liars and then with you know with the boys in uh, um in family of liars and I was like I you know, because they both kind of merged seamlessly, the two books together. And I was like, I don't know which I prefer more and I'm just going to be happy loving both of them. So did you, like, (laughs) did you have a preference between the characters that you enjoyed spending the most time with?
3: In We Were Liars, if you've read it, I don't think this is a spoiler, You know, We Were Liars centers on the friendship between a group of four people who call themselves the liars or whose family calls them the liars. And um, it's Cadence, who's the protagonist of the story, and her two cousins, Johnny and Mirren, and then this boy, Gat, who is an outsider to their family, but who comes and spends the summers with them. So they have this really intense, like, summer friendship. But the people in that story are really... They do have a lot of fun on the island and get up to all kinds of hijinks, um, spend time sitting on the roof and stealing snacks from the big house and, you know, snorkeling on the tiny beach and um, Cadence and Gat fall in love and all kinds of fun things happen. But by and large, those people are having a rough time. They are all each having a very rough time with the situations that they are in. Cadence, in particular, you know, has amnesia. She's had a terrible accident. She suffers from chronic migraines. And so there's a lot more of, like, everybody suffering their own internal things and kind of trying to entertain their friends at the same time. And uh, in Family of Liars, these boys arrive. They don't have a care in the world, right? These are a bunch of entitled, uh, super charming louts, uh, so to speak. And um, they've got a private island to hang out on for the summer. And they are super attractive and also a little terrible and sort of up to no good. So they were very fun to write and they kind of take over the guest house. And Carrie and her sisters Penny and Bess are living in the in the big house and they trot down to the guest house all the time along with their cousin Yardley and that like world of of teenage boys basically having a party in their, you know, in a house with no adult supervision was really, really fun to write and to hang out in. And those people are not so so full of angst. Carrie is full of it. But, you know, a lot of people are just barreling through their summer um, living the good life.
2: Yep. For sure. And you can feel that like you you've managed to write it in such a way that it really pulls the reader in to feel like you're part of the family for better or for worse in some cases. But it's such a a beautiful feeling of like, I know I felt transported to this island in summer. And and it was just this, you know, we're coming into winter here. It's getting quite cool where I live. And um, so it was nice to sort of just escape into that a bit. Um, So I guess this goes on to my next question. When did the idea for Family of Liars come to you. Did you know back when you wrote We Were Liars, was this always percolating in your mind or was it a few years later that you were like, oh, you know, I kind of, I would love to go back into this world. Like, tell us about how it came to be.
3: Thank you. Yeah. Well, I mean, just so people know, the usual way that that a sequel would happen is that you would pitch a book series um, to a publisher, right? And then they would come out usually about a year apart, which puts you on a really tight writing schedule. It's really hard. And I actually noticed your Prison Healer and and, and uh, Gilded Cage and Blood Trader came out even closer together, right? That was delightful. <laughs> Did you have them all teed up and all written and ready to go?
2: No. And um, and when I uh, when the publishing contract came in, it was um, in November 2019. So none of this new COVID was going to happen. Um, and so my publishers were like, let's see if we can work about this on an accelerated schedule and see how we go. And I was like, well, we'll give it a go, see how we go. And then COVID happened. So it was just like... It was not ideal, um, but it's, you know, we're coming to the end of it now, so it's it's fine. So I hear you. The yearly releases, you know, they are they are tough, um, but, you know, you had multiple other things happening in your world I as well. I had a lot of things so going I,
3: on, um, but so does everybody, right? But what happened was I published We Were Liars in 2014, and it was a bestseller. I felt very lucky. It came out in Australia as well. But that was kind of the end of it, right? My publisher was interested in a sequel, but if you have read We Were Liars, you know that this is not a good book to write a sequel to. Um, A lot of what people like about it could not be uh, repeated. I couldn't really bring you back into that world in the same way in a sequel. So I really just said no. And I went on and I wrote Genuine Fraud and I wrote again again. And um, I wrote a superhero for DC Comics, and I went about my business. And then during the pandemic, um, relatively quickly, actually, um, people began making videos about We Were Liars on TikTok. So I don't know who did that first. I don't know who did it best, but there were a lot of videos, and some of them were really popular, of people either making aesthetics that kind of bring you into the world of the Sinclair family and Beechwood Island and give you that feeling or crying, mascara running down their faces and snot coming out of their noses and, uh, you know, having like a big response. And some of those people loved the book. Some of the people hated the book, but they had a big response. And um, this brought the book back onto the bestseller list and it's been there for 20 months. So Thank you to those filmmakers. Um, I feel really lucky that you happened to pick my book to uh, make videos about, among others. Um, Anyway, all that is to say that I have um, a very good friend in the novelist, Gail Foreman. And she wrote If I Stay, and more recently, um, We Are Invisible, and I Have Lost My Way. She's a wonderful YA novelist. and if I stay was made into a movie. Anyway, Gail lives near me in Brooklyn, New York. And we like to go out um, as often as we can and walk around the loop in uh the park that's near our homes. And we, you know, it's kind of like middle-aged lady exercise time, let's be <laughs> honest. It's not always uh, you know, novelists um talking about story, you know, but But it was on that day. So she said, you know, this popularity is like a gift, right? You have readers for this world of Beachwood Island. I think you should write some kind of follow-up book. And I was like, oh, no, I can't write a sequel because blah, 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 blah. And she, you know, and and she was like, well, write something else, you know, write a story of, of one of the other characters or something. And I was like, well, I can't do it. It's not going to be good. I don't want to do. And she really basically she was like, you are lucky you have readers right now. You have them w- write something they would like to read, you know, and I she just kept at me. And we talked about ideas for the whole hour that we were walking around this park. And she threw out some ideas and I rejected them and I threw out ideas and I rejected them. And eventually, you know, it, it's such a gift to have somebody force you to brainstorm because you don't want to. But if they keep kind of stimulating you and keep asking you questions, you come up with something that you wouldn't have come up with. And that's what happened with Family of I basically went home from that walk with a book idea.
2: Well, and what's so clever about it as well is it is a prequel, but you've also, and I'm not giving spoilers because it only came out this week and I'm assuming everyone here hasn't read it, um, but you've done it in such a clever way that it technically also kind of is a sequel, the way that it's narrated and who it's narrated to. And so there's that beautiful tie-in for people who've read the first book and there's the nostalgia of that while kind of introducing us to characters who we've already met, but growing them and developing them in ways that we've did not get in the first book so I guess I'm curious about your process for that how did you get into the mind of the sisters who were one you know when we first meet them they're older they're parents Um, but then in in family of liars you brought them back to them being teenagers did you have a process for I guess figuring out how to keep them as real and relatable but also bring them into a way that they are teenagers and how they would then develop like how did you do that (laughs)
3: Well, I don't know the person who is me who you know goes grocery shopping and and uh, takes care of housework and even the same me who's doing this interview and goes to meetings about publishing things like that's not quite exactly the same me as writes a novel. <laughs> so I don't know who that person is. I'm lucky that I can become that person, and I don't mean to sound like insane about it, but I just, it is a strange alchemy. And if you show up and you just keep working and you keep working at it, sometimes you're able to do it to your satisfaction and make something that you want to make. Is that your, is that your experience?
2: Yeah. You've kept them in character in a way that you've de-aged them, but you've showed them in a way that they could then become who we first met like because your timing is back to front not in a bad way but in a you know we're now in a prequel um so did you have to when you were writing it did you have to constantly keep in mind this is who they are going to become and so I need to make sure the foundation is there for that
3: Hmm. yes but you know in We Were Liars Penny is really quite an antagonistic figure and I think hopefully by the end of that novel readers understand what penny has been going through and why she behaves the way she does but she is a person who is fitting herself into quite a small box and that doesn't make her always kind and some of her decisions are shallow or her behaviors are are you know coming out of a lot of pain so that was always clear to me in writing penny i know some people just hate penny they hate her so much they just they're like you know, WTF, this mom is terrible. I was always writing Penny from a place of sympathy, of thinking about what it would be like to be her in her particular box. But that said, in order to write her as a teenager in Family of Liars, I really did have to think A lot more about what might be going on with Penny and why that box that she's in is as painful as it is. So I invented a lot of of stuff for Penny, as well as for Carrie, who serves as the narrator. And I picked Carrie to be the narrator, partly because I think Penny is very hard to love. Also, if you go back and read We Were Liars, and you think about the scene in which Carrie is wandering on the island and has been talking to Johnny late at night, she is really the only person who is an adult in that book who could be a protagonist in this new book.
2: Yes. So you just mentioned, you know, a scene, Carrie walking on the beach, but um, when it comes to Family of Liars, are there any scenes that you are particularly excited for readers to read as they come into this try and avoid spoilers if you can but you know it's your book so you you tell us what you're
3: excited for <laughs> one thing i've had a really fun time with it's using fairy tales in this novel um we were liars has these fairy tale interstitials where cadence uses kind of reinvented fairy tales to say the thing that is unspeakable to her own mind right things that she really knows deep, deep in the recesses of her mind, but cannot express. And so those kind of thread all the way through. And um, they almost all of them start once upon a time, there was a king who had three beautiful daughters. I probably misquoted that, but there you go, (laughs) something like that. And I wanted to use fairy tales in a new way, but also a way that echoed what I had done in We Were Liars in this new book. And so I decided to use just three fairy tales. And I used um, a ghost story called The Stolen Pennies um, that I had uh, read as a kid, but um, had forgotten about. I I ended up Googling ghost uh, story fairy tales and reading through a whole lot of them. A story called Mr. Fox, which is a kind of a Bluebeard model of fairy tale where um, a young woman... Marries a really, really, really terrible dude, and Cinderella. So I, I chose Cinderella as like the story that people would already know, and I, um, I'm really excited for people to read those fairy tales and get to the moment when all three of them, um, kind of reveal themselves, and um, hopefully that's the moment in the story where the plot kind of goes ching 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 ching, and everything kind of makes sense.
2: So I'm assuming that we probably have a couple of writers watching here. Would you, uh, you obviously are the queen of plot twists. So what would kind of, um, you know, do you have any hints or tips that you would offer to people for how you create these surprises and how people can do it themselves?
3: I don't really know. The thing I said earlier about, you know, pushing oneself through an awkward period of brainstorming holds true here as well, you know, and I often start a project and, you know, the weaker side of me wants to just show off that I am clever. You know, there's some uh, element of my personality as a writer that is like, Oh, let me be funny. Let me do it in an unusual structure. You know, with genuine fraud. I was like, I'm going to write a book backwards. It's going to be so smart. Um, (laughs) And you know, those are, I, I love a good clever book. You know, I really do. Um, But that is not, enough for a really satisfying read for a really good story. And the thing that uh, needs to carry any plot twist is emotional connection to the story, right? You you can have a million plot twists, but if you don't care about the people that they're happening to and the emotions that are threading through this whole story haven't um, been relatable, even if the characters are in, you know, this sort of elite situation um, on this private island, like you still have to, you still have to feel that they are in peril in some way, that they that they want things and that there's places where you can connect to their experience. I can brainstorm and think of a plot twist, but if I can't find a way to make you care about the plot twist, then I'm not writing a very satisfying novel. That is not a, an answer to how I do it because I don't, I don't, I brainstorm until I think of something.
2: And I think it's one of those questions that is a hard thing to answer because, you know, so much of what we do as writers is instinctive and we are stuck in our little writing bubble and hoping that what we write will work out. Massive success for this series. You spoke about it before, you know, it went viral after the fact and it's been, you know, bestseller for insane amounts of time now. If you could go back to 2014, maybe a couple of days or even the night before it was published and whisper something to yourself um what what would you tell yourself what would you what would you say
3: I think I would say it's about the work you know it is nice when you have readers it is nice when you have sell books it is nice to get paid for making art that is a wonderful privilege um job wise all these things are nice it is sometimes entertaining to be on the internet you know I love going to book festivals. Um, That is one of my favorite parts of my job. And also like librarian conferences and bookseller conferences. I love meeting book people and getting to connect with um, other people who care about what I care about. But that's not what it's about, right? It's about trying to make stories that touch people, trying to talk about what it is to be a human, trying to make some art that maybe lasts or touches people. And so I think over and over, like what I've found is that I need to return to me and the story, Mm -hmm. right? That's the only thing I can control. Some of my books are popular, some of my books are not popular. Some books come out and feel like total failures. And that's okay. It's got to be okay. It has to be okay. Right. I have to just be know how lucky I am that my book came out at all. Right. And that I got to make this book and earn my living this way. And um, that I get to be a storyteller. So I just, I just always return to the work and try to make that my focus instead of whatever else is going on.
2: What are you working on now or what is coming next for you?
3: Oh, gosh. <laughs> I wish I knew, you know, one of the strange things about Family of Liars is that they dropped it into the publishing schedule. Mm-hmm. So most of the time when you have finished a book, you have at least a year before it comes out and very often longer than a year right so you finish it and you copy edit it and you proof it and then there's just I don't know what the publishers are doing for that whole year they are you know arranging for printing and making designing covers and doing their publisher things Um, but they did not do that in this case Um, they dropped it in uh, five months after it was finished I feel like I just finished this book you know what I mean and um I have a strange project that I've been working on that I have set aside for a little while that is connected to a fairy tale that I keep thinking about um I'm not sure I'm going to return to that project right away I will finish it someday you know it's sitting there waiting for me um to say hello to it again <laughs>
1: Lynette, I think you've asked such great questions, and thank you so much for your time and congratulations on your pending release of your final book. That we haven't got so many questions. I've got a couple of people have asked me which book Emily they should read first. Does it matter? Are they standalone? What should they do? They should read We Were Liars first. We Were Liars. Yeah, that's right yes. too. Okay, good. But you know, I've got a couple of questions for you, Emily. If that's all right, there's a lot of messages of people saying hello. They love you. There's a lot of that coming in. But what I want to ask you is whether or not that these amazing sort of characters, and are they based, and please, you know, you don't need to name any names, are they based on people that you know?
3: Oh, God, no.
1: Surely there's no traits of the people that are surrounding you in your books? Well, I mean, here's
3: here's what I think. I think that every family fights, right? There's conflict in all kinds of families, yeah. And both of these books in some way are about the moment when as teenagers, and this may be more universal to Western cultures and maybe even more to America than, um, than other cultures, but they separate from their family of origin, right? Teenage people start to question what those grownups are up to and what those grownups are up to is sometimes pretty rotten as you become more educated, become more yourself and begin maybe to separate from the institutions besides your family that might've shaped you, such as your church or your school um, or your sports team, right? Uh, These institutions shape you give you values. And then as you're old enough, you start to question those values. And sometimes you're right to question them, to rebel against them. And to interrogate them. And in any case, it's a process, right, of becoming an adult. And I'm so interested in that. That's why I like to write YA. I think it's the most interesting time of life. And I think both of these books are really really about that, among other things. And then I am taking my own self and I am putting myself into these characters. So, you know, I have never been as Cadence in We Were Liars is an heiress. I have never been an amnesiac. I have never been a Percocet addict. The biggest thing that I actually have in common with Cadence is that I've had my heart broken more than once, right? So this experience of like having somebody break up with you As Cadence, you know, feels that Gat has done after her accident and just not love you anymore and not even speak to you, give you absolutely no closure to something that was a completely consuming romantic relationship. And suddenly, like, this boy doesn't care for her anymore. He disappears on her for two years and she has so many unresolved questions about why they broke up, especially because she can't remember. Right. That's just a heightening of. Stuff that happened to me in my teen years and in my 20s, right? It's just it's just finding a fictional situation to jack up this. what is really a very ordinary kind of romantic heartbreak that I went through. From Gat's perspective, Gat is a middle-class New Yorker. He's the kid who's uh, always got his hand up, right? He's got one foot in and one foot out of an educational institution. I took a lot of my own experience and translated that into Gat's kind of emotional life and position um, even though his lived experience is very different from mine as the boy of Indian heritage and uh, so forth. Emily,
1: I'm interested in when you're writing sort of a YA and you're writing something that's so clearly a universal truth for so many people when you talk about the heartache and when you talk about privilege and class, like these are these are people's lives. Is there a message that you're trying to create out there? Is there an understanding, for example, that you're a feminist, for example. Is that sort of an underlying message that you try and put through in your work?
3: Well, I mean, a feminist is just somebody who believes that women are people, you know, like a full full person with full rights. I think that's going to be threaded through my work no matter what I do. It's not a message that I have to uh, consciously send. I mean, I'm saying this as a person with a PhD in literature. Mm -hmm. I don't think that novels have messages. I think a novel is a big, complicated utterance work of art that one makes because one is wrestling with questions and issues that are too complicated and too unresolved and too self-contradictory to put into a message right if you could write a message maybe you'd write a smart essay and send your message out into the world clearly Mm. right a novel is not a clear way to send a message a novel is one human brain at work on a set of complicated problems that do not settle easily
1: it's so interesting I, I just really love that answer so much thank you I, I'm going to think about that for quite some time I feel like I could speak to you for a really long time Emily about just even about critical thought and how important that is and how YA fiction can really change somebody's life to be giving people those sort of considerations but uh, there's a couple more questions coming through and we're running out of time okay. uh, look people want to know quite a lot about your writing process and I don't know whether you're a person that can answer a question quickly my guess is not <laughs> right so do you write from the very beginning to the very end in one sort of straight line or are you a meanderer
3: I'm not a meanderer but I um I don't write in order Um, With genuine fraud, which actually goes backwards, you can. I really did not write in order, but uh, same with family of liars, and we were liars. Which is, I am using a word processing program called Scrivener. Lynette, do you use Scrivener?
2: I love it. (laughs) Yep, save Uh, my life.
3: (laughs) Right. I mean, I I learned about Scrivener because all of the long fantasy writers I I knew were using it um, it's essential for for plotting out anything that goes book to book to book and you really need to be able to see the threads of your of your plot um, but it's useful for people like me too who write much shorter books um, set in realistic landscapes uh, so I outline things in scrivener and then I write out of order.
1: And have you ever had to overcome writer's block? Is that something that you have to do? Or you just, when you're doing those sort of walks around the park, or are you constantly creating?
3: I mean, I feel like I have writer's block all the time. I mean, I just push through it. I mean, I I I do not wait for some muse to show up most yeah. of the time. I sit down and I write some stupid stuff. I write stupid stuff. I write a description if I can't write the plot. I jump ahead if I can't write what's next in the story. I brainstorm a lot of like, you know, this is not inspirational documents, right, to look at. I brainstorm all kinds of dumb ideas that I don't think are any good, but it's like keeping your brain going. Do you know what I mean? Refusing to allow it to settle into that stagnant place.
1: I think that's our last question. What a treat it is to speak to you here, over here in Melbourne. It's at close to 7.30 at night. Uh, for you over there, everybody, you can just see in uh, Emily's window that, that the, sun, the light is starting to come up. It's, it's what, 6.30 in the morning now. that's right. She's met us at 4.30 in the morning. So it's 5.30. The light is just starting to creep in. We'll probably hear garbage trucks and things quite soon. I hope that you can manage to get back to sleep or do something productive with the next couple of hours before the rest of the world wakes up. We have completely been delighted by your conversation tonight. Thank you so much for making us feel so welcome into the way that your mind thinks and the way that you create a pure, pure treat on behalf of Alan and on behalf of readings and on behalf of everyone here. Thank you so much.
3: It was a pleasure. And Lynette, it's really such a joy to get to talk to you. Your writing is fascinating and I really appreciate your joining me pleasure was
2: all mine and a massive congratulations to everyone watching if you haven't read family liars go pick it up it came out yesterday the day before the fourth yesterday mm-hmm. yes and most definitely if you haven't read we Will Lies, go grab that as well because you should read this
1: one first everyone will love them <laughs> thank you both thank you. so much and to all of you out there good night keep reading and i look forward to seeing you another time very soon good night
0: you can stream previous episodes of The Readings Podcast at our website. We'll also find all kinds of other recommendations for great books, music, film, and TV. You can also sign up to E! News or to receive our free monthly newsletter, The Readings Monthly. The Readings Podcast is produced by me, Nico Callaghan. The show's music is by Tom Hoskins. Thank you for listening.